This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. Race number one. Are you ready for short track racing in the heartland? Ready? Great, 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 great. It's the HighViewDeals.com 250. Let's go from Iowa. Side by side, battling in turn number one. Oh, Joseph Newgarden might have caught his teammate sleeping on the start. He darted to the inside. Mark, he'll take the lead down the back straightaway. Win number four about to go in the books for Joseph Newgarden. Quinn Checkers out. He wins the HyvieDeals.com 250 presented by DoorDash here at Iowa Speedway. Race number two. Newgarden in the white and black car to the inside, side by side, battle for the lead. Wilson. Newgarden has the line and lap traffic potentially is going to come into play with Grosjean in the same line as Will Power. And Grosjean has so much control over the result here of this Team Penske battle, depending on where he runs his car. Grosjean goes all the way high. Newgarden has clean air. Power washes up the track. Yesterday's winner, Newgarden, is back in front. Oh, we've got trouble in turn four. Jay Query looks like the leader, Joseph Newgarden's up against the wall. Joseph Newgarden is going in the wrong direction because all of a sudden he made contact in turn number four. That car goes to the bottom of the racetrack. Everybody safely gets around him, but our leader who has dominated, Joseph Newgarden, now has the AMR safety team already on site. You know, something something went wrong. Um, Hard to tell what it is, but, you know, my, my guys do a great job for me, and can't thank everybody enough for the sport with Team Chevy and, and Hitachi. It's just, uh, just oh, it's heartbreaking. They've had bad luck at times. Today, some good luck. Start number 50 for Pato Award is win number four. Award is back in the championship mix. Wins the second half of the high V IndyCar doubleheader in Iowa. Way to go, boys. Way to go. Awesome weekend. Let's go. I know it's only Monday, but it's Brickyard Week, which includes IndyCar again this year, so we've got bonus track sides for an hour each night this week at 8 o'clock. More racing conversation. Jake Query, Mike Thompson, Beyond the Bricks coming up tonight. At Kevin Lee, 23, at Kurt Cavan. Thanks for joining us, Kevin, Kurt. Sam Rumsa in our Indianapolis studios at the MS Communications Worldwide Headquarters. We've got two races to talk about with the High V IndyCar Weekend Joseph Newgarden and Pato Award winning and many other good performances. The championship even tighter. We've got Brickyard Week to look at. Uh, if there's any more silliness and silly season to discuss. But, Kurt, we need to start with the latest on the driver who appeared to be on his way to a sweep of the weekend. Joseph Newgarden crashed, hard hit, uh, enough to worry you, but got out of the car quickly. Uh, was released from medical very quickly. But then, as most of us that were at the track were leaving, or an hour or so after the race, we got some concerning news last night, and the news continues today. So you think about it, Joseph is going into turn three on that lap with what amounts to a 10-point lead in the championship had the race ended right there. And he hits the wall, loses his race victory that he so justly deserved, is, um, you know, seems to be fine, all all is well in the post-race interviews or the post-incident interviews. And then we find out after the race that he has fallen, whether it's collapsed or passed out or, or something along those descriptive words. And he's fallen and, and he's hit his head and he has an abrasion on his head, the extent of which uh, we don't know at this point, taken to the hospital by by helicopter because 
honestly, that's the quickest way to get to to West Des Moines or Des Moines hospitals. Uh, it's a it's a thirty five to forty minute drive on a good day, and with race traffic and so forth, it had been a longer trip. So they they took him by the helicopter, which was on site. Uh, kept him overnight after some brain scans revealed no damage, uh, mostly for observation. I would I would say that's at least that's that's how they were uh, delivering the news today. And he will be due for a checkup from IndyCar Medical on Thursday, one day before the start of the practice for this weekend's event. Um, so really, I think where we're at at this point, uh, we need a couple days to to let him. Uh, recover, if you will. He's obviously, you know, got a sore noggin from from hitting his head as he fell. And then I think it just has to be determined, you know, is this was this caused by a side effect uh, from the crash? You know, he crashes. He has obviously uh, a, a large impact that was enough to concern all of us when it first happened. You go in rear first, even with a safer barrier. That's a that's a concerning situation. Uh, but he has, you know, he seems to respond pretty well getting out of the car and, and speaking to the media, uh, although he did look, you know, obviously irritated. And then, you know, so it's either a, a kind of a side effect. The fall was either a side effect from from that incident or was it a side effect of of running two races in one day Aaron, in a 24 hour period? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, you know, pretty close to 500 laps. You know, I deal with vertigo on a on an occasional basis, and I can't imagine going in circles around a less than a one mile oval. You know, five hundred times in a short amount of time. The first race, a hundred degree weather. The second race, while cooler, still a warm day for the summer. And you know, was he just, you know, I don't want to say dehydrated, but some form of effect from from heat and driving in circles and dealing with the the g loads that are in place and it wouldn't be the first time we've seen drivers kind of respond uh to to that type of environment we see you know a lot of hot days you see drivers essentially uh collapse against the wall and sit down and and are really in no position to talk to anyone for a while i remember you know tony stewart on a hot day you know had to take ivs and and so you know you've had moments where where it's uh it's the heat is just such a factor. So we don't know at this point. It's going to take a couple of days to, to kind of let this settle. Uh, in the meantime, Team Penske has, has reserved a, a standby driver in Santino Ferrucci. We can talk about that in a minute, but quite honestly, that was one of the first names I came up with, but I, I had pretty well talked myself out of it by the time uh, I, it came out of my, uh, out of my mouth. Uh, so Santino Ferrucci will be on standby. He was going to be at the Brickyard weekend anyway to drive a, an Xfinity car. Uh, so we'll see how this plays out, and we'll know on Wednesday, I think, and I don't think, or Thursday, and I don't think we'll know before that. And Santino is also coming off a nasty crash, um, more so for others, but he spun at Pocono in the Xfinity race on Saturday and collected others and. Jeb Burton went upside down, and it was it was scary for a little bit, but all were okay. So we'll get to Santino in a moment. So here's kind of as I was hearing it, and Dr. Billows actually said this publicly, so I think it's okay to share this. Um, but this is the story I heard, and then he said this, which was captured on video by Nathan Brown of The Star and Jenna Fryer of the Associated Press and others. The IndyCar medical staff had actually gone back after the race was over to visit with Joseph again. 
and had just chatted and said, you know, it's been 45 minutes, an hour, you still feeling okay, and had left, and it was shortly after that when he collapsed, fainted, whatever the case may be, and hit his head. And I think a lot of us, you know, my first thought was hoping, well, this was just a combination of 100 degrees. You know, you noticed on Saturday, uh, maybe you didn't notice, it it might not have been in side-by-side, but we're watching, I think we had gone to commercial break, and, you know, this may be a conversation that uh, Townsend and Hinch and I were kind of talking. We're we're going to bring this up if we can just let the drivers do what they want to do, climb out of the car whenever they want to climb out instead of holding them, which has been the case uh, for many years until you get back from commercial. But can we just let them get out whenever they want to get out? So they're trying to hold Joseph in the car on Saturday, and he's having none of it. He just, nope, and they're, no, you got to stay in the car, and he's, I'm getting out. And understood, you know, he's been sitting in there and had to be overwhelmed with heat. Although in the interview, he said, eh, I feel pretty good. The cool suit worked really well. But back to the original thought, my hope was that this is a combination of back-to-back races, dehydration. I don't know whether he took an IV or not on Saturday. I know his two teammates did, and I know many others did. I did not see Joseph on Sunday morning. Combined with the emotions – he was really emotional. You could tell. He said, I'm, I'm trying not to cry. And, and that's when I said on the air, you know, I, I don't know if he knows that something broke. He still feels like this is his fault, and he let everyone down. He's thinking about where things stand in the championship and everything else. And then the third part of it is adrenaline. And when that goes, he's still on adrenaline when he's doing that interview and for a while, and at some point, there's just a crash and all of that combination. So, you know, that's the hope. And, and early on um, reports are good that they did the advanced imaging and all is good from what they found at the hospital on Sunday night. So I'm optimistic about Joseph and I'm hoping, hoping he's feeling good and is able to race this weekend. Yeah, I, I'm optimistic too. Uh, the only thing that kind of concerns me is that use the word crash and it's it's a difficult word to use in the event of the the accident that he had mm-hmm. but the the drop down in emotions and drop down you know one of the reasons well the reason why medical would go back to joseph 45 minutes later is because you know sometimes the effects of of um a, an impact like that might not show up for a while and Correct. even if the tests are are great at the hospital that doesn't you know that's why they wait two or three days and kind of let let it, let it kind of settle and see where you're at. So I'm optimistic as well. Uh, I think hydration or or the lack thereof uh, ultimately will be proven to be the the biggest factor here. Uh, but uh, the fact remains he he took two hits on on Sunday. One of them was a vicious hit with the with the wall. And I know you're not traveling as fast at Iowa as you are at some places. But it's, you know, it's the angle into the barrier. It's the, uh, you know, you're carrying a lot of speed in turn four. And, yeah. and it's still a, a more of a rear impact than not. And, and all those things, you know, are, are felt through the body of, of the individual who's driving the car. So a lot to uh, consider. And, you know, I know that um, I know the G-forces would have been high. Let's put it that way. 
And they register that. And regardless of what happened after the race with the, the fainting episode or whatever you'd like to call it, Dr. Billows confirmed that we already were set to visit with him again on Thursday. And he needed to be cleared to drive again, which is standard operating procedure for anyone that takes a crash of a certain level of impact. And Joseph's met that. So that was going to be coming regardless. And and they measure that based off the uh, ear ear earbuds, as how most of us know uh, those terms. But they have these uh, tracking devices in the in the driver's uh, ear sets, and so they they know. And once it reaches a, a certain threshold, that's when you're going back for more uh, evaluation in the days that uh, follow. So Santino Ferrucci is the choice, and and you mentioned you thought of him originally. I had thought of a few names and his name came up, but I'll admit it surprised me a little bit. Another thing that surprises me a little bit, and maybe this was already the plan, you know, Team Penske always has a plan. And I'm a little bit surprised that they don't have someone that is ready to fill in. In this COVID era, we have seen this, that teams have gone have done a little more due diligence in making sure that they, they have some, some, for example, Ryan Hunter Ray is basically on standby throughout the season for Chip Ganassi racing. Maybe Sebastian Bourdais is, maybe he's not. I've heard that Cadillac is not uh, keen on him driving a Honda. So I'm not sure that Sebastian Bourdais has or is an option to fill in for Chip Ganassi racing. So he actually maybe could be more on the Chevy side of things uh, for Andretti Autosport. I have not asked this, but I'm pretty, I'm guessing James Hinchcliffe is kind of on standby for them. And I think Oliver Askew, if he's not racing in Formula E, is someone else that is with them that would be available. Not every team has one, but I'm guessing most have thought of it. Um, so the other options for, San, uh, for, for a fill-in, if needed, this weekend. Well, the first names that come to mind, I don't think would be allowed to drive. Names I just mentioned. Ryan Hunter Ray, if uh, if he's under contract in any form with Chip Ganassi Racing, I'm not releasing him to go drive for a, another team that I'm competing with in the championship. Same thing for Sebastian Bourdais. He, maybe he's not allowed to drive a Honda, but he's still a Chip Ganassi Racing driver, and I may not be super keen on him driving, and maybe Team Penske doesn't want him driving uh, their program. And keep in mind, they are going to be competitors on the sports car program, Porsche versus Cadillac. So that gets a little bit tricky. Another name I thought of, and, and when you think of this, you need to think of who has driven this car with the aero screen on road courses. Oliver Askew came up. He filled in last year, filled in nicely in a Chevy for a couple of different teams, full-time two years before. He's an Andretti driver, and he's busy this weekend. Formula E races in London this weekend, so cross him off. You know, could it be someone like one like Tony Canaan or Juan Pablo Montoya? Um, it could, but we've seen if you're not doing this all the time, you cannot just climb back in and be competitive, and it's probably harder once you're past 40 years old. Could they do it and do a decent job? I'm sure they could. Another thought is, you know, I wonder, you're just thinking, all right, if if whoever we get is probably not going to be able to win the race, well, maybe we evaluate someone. And maybe in Ferrucci's case, I don't know if Team Penske would think this way, but a lot of us think that it'd be good to have Santino Ferrucci in IndyCar. 
He's someone that's polarizing. A lot of drivers dislike him. Some fans dislike him. Some fans love him. He's entertaining. He's he's a little bit different. If he gets a chance and does decently in a Team Penske car, that's going to increase the chance that someone will hire him or a sponsor will join him for next season. And then the Penske. You know, people are asking about the Penske drivers in sports cars. They put Dane Cameron in an IndyCar earlier this year. Felipe Nasser is tested in an IndyCar. He's a former Formula One driver. They're both with the Porsche Penske program. But they both have one day in, a, in an IndyCar. So I don't think they're as good as Santino Ferrucci is, even though they're great drivers. And if you gave them a little bit of time, yeah, I think they'd run up front. I think they could do what Scott McLaughlin is doing in IndyCar. And it's also possible they may be busy. They may be busy. That's a a number one priority to get the Porsche IMSA program and the new LMDH up together. And then you're looking at the other people that have driven the car before. A lot of people were interested in Simone Di Silvestro. J.R. Hildebrand has done it. Sage Karam has maybe one race on a road course in this car. He's also racing Xfinity. Marco Andretti's name was mentioned. He broke his wrist on Saturday night winning the SRX championship. Ed Jones, Charlie Kimball, Spencer Piggott. I think Spencer's only had one race maybe in the last couple of years. He was full-time, what, two years ago, three years ago? I know he did one road course race last year. Probably the best scenario was James Hinchcliffe. Uh, He's the one that's done it the most, did a full season last year. Uh, I'll have to ask Hinch whether this other came up or not. You know, who knows? And and then it may go back to what I was talking about before. If you're going to put somebody in, let's evaluate a young driver. Let's, Let's find someone still coming up. And let's don't also weaken our broadcast partner as well and take away their analysts for the weekend. So I started with um, Simona Di Silvestro because I think she fits uh, some of the messaging you've seen out of Penske Entertainment. She drove essentially their car in the 2021 Indy 500. And I really thought that would be the choice. Uh, I don't know her schedule and availability. The second choice that I, I went to was Montoya. Uh, drove the road course in May, uh, but maybe, you know, it's a little more of a challenge for him to get here if it's just a standby situation. You know, Correct. he may have other things he's doing. I didn't go to the Hinchcliffe idea because, you know, quite frankly, it was going to essentially take away from the broadcast. That's mm-hmm. a that's an important factor for Roger Penske, who owns the series. And I think... Uh, the reason I came up with San Santino so quickly is because I knew he would be at the track. You know, you, you, you're trying to schedule is the biggest thing, you know, aside from the, you know, who could drive your car because it's a Chevy. Uh, I actually didn't think Roger Penske would want to put a Ganassi driver in his car or Tim Sendrick would feel that way more so than Ganassi letting them. I, I really thought it would be, why am I going to let, a Ganassi employed driver get to see what we do, see our, our meetings, Agreed. understand Agreed. the process more so than Ganassi letting them do it. But uh, again, I, I started with Simona, went to Montoya, then threw out uh, Santino. Uh, and then I talked myself out of it because I just didn't see him as fitting the, uh, the, the description of what I thought they would do with this. Uh, opportunity if it comes to be keep in mind let's before we go too far with this we don't even know if he's going to be available 
meaning a replacement or a standby driver, because we think, you know, there's a at least a, a pretty good chance or at least some chance that, that Joseph will drive the car. So all those things, I had pretty well left it as I have no idea who they would choose. And honestly, the biggest surprise in the thing is that they announced the standby on Monday. I thought that if we had a standby driver, it would be kept very quiet and that yeah. we wouldn't know it until the Joseph news was resolved. I like that they did it, though. And from their side, if I'm them, I see why they wanted to do it, because then they're getting questions all week and then they're getting bugged by drivers and managers all week about this. And the speculation is out there. So let's just end it right now. And there may have been conversations with some others. And I like what you're talking about with, hey, who do we really want to see our information? Who are we inviting in? And if I'm them, you know, I, I think Hinch is the, the most qualified to be able to go out there and do a good job this weekend. But James Hinchcliffe, you know, is still associated with Honda. And he still, I think, has a little bit of associated with Andretti Autosport and Devlin Francesco. So I don't know that I want someone seeing my stuff that doesn't have any potential future with my team. If I'm going to choose someone, maybe I want a driver that doesn't really have a relationship that that's strong with any team at this point. Uh, you know, and maybe is headed to NASCAR out of all of this. Uh, so that makes some sense on that front too. And as you said, he's going to be there. If he, uh, by the way, gets the call, I don't think he's running that Xfinity car. And I saw, no, I agree. Agree. yeah, Nathan Brown posted a statement from Sam Hunt racing today. And it said, uh, from the Indianapolis star as of right now, Santino Ferrucci remains the pilot of the number 26 car. So keywords as of right now, they didn't say Santino Ferrucci will be driving the car this weekend. And even before that statement, I would have had the same opinion. Uh, this would be a huge opportunity for Santino Ferrucci. It's not like he's running for points. It's not like he's doing every race. They announce him one or two races at a time. He could work out a deal where he does another Xfinity race down the road for that team, and they can put one of the other three or four drivers that have been in that car in that car for this weekend, and they can do it on really short notice. I also, the thing I, that that um, flagged me at least initially on Santino, Santino is his best races have been on ovals. And had this been an oval race coming up, I, he might have been first on the list of the of the drivers I came up with. He has fared a, a little better on the road courses, particularly the the Indianapolis uh, road course than I initially thought. He finished. He's had a couple top tens, like ninth and tenth. Uh, yeah. He had a couple good races at at Road America a couple years ago, uh, so he has had some 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 decent runs. I know he started up pretty high at mid Ohio. I think he was on the front row one, one year and maybe in 2020. So he, he's, he's run. Okay. Uh, sixth at, at Belle Isle, as I recall last year. But um, anyway, I was surprised just because I think of him more of more of his better moments being on ovals. Uh, but that may speak more to how good the ovals have been for him. And honestly, you know the teams he's driven for haven't haven't necessarily been you know road course top five teams. They've been fifth through tenth. You could see that, but but uh, you know the Dale Coin ride. You, you, you know he's got a you know a cup of coffee with Ray Hall, but you know you just don't think of of Santino as a road course guy. 
That so being he had a strength. couple of good runs in 2020 at Road America. Doubleheader there. Uh, that season, he qualified sixth and third and finished sixth and seventh. So he has had some success. You mentioned Detroit. He was quick there uh, in the, the partial role with Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan uh, last year. So, you know, I, do, do you think Team Penske would think about that at all? That, hey, this could be good no. for the, the series that Santino Ferrucci is a popular character. He's someone that it might be good if he's involved. If we're going to have to fill a seat, let's think of the greater good here. Well, absolutely, they're thinking that way. At least Roger would be. Maybe less so Tim Sendrick. Uh, but I like your your also point about he doesn't really have connections to anybody. Uh, you know, he's not you don't think of him as an Andretti guy. You don't label him as a Ganassi guy. He's not one of my competitors. He's not tied to Honda necessarily, even though, you know, I think that may be the only manufacturer he's run for in IndyCar. Uh, he may no. have run, I guess, Dry and Reinbold and Hukos yeah. would have been been Chevy's. But almost every other uh, opportunity he's had has been in a Honda. So but you don't think about him being a Honda guy per se. He's kind of his own guy. It is a little bit different in terms of the size of the two drivers. Newgarden's a much bigger individual than, than Santino is. Uh, sometimes that's a factor for a team. Doubtful it's, it's a factor here. But I think the thing I keep coming back to, and I think a lot of people feel this way, we all want Joseph in the car this weekend if Joseph's ready to, ready to roll and he needs to be in the race if possible to contend for this championship. But how interesting is it at at the idea of of a Ferrucci running a Penske car? You know, let's see what this kid can do. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. But again, we hope we hope Joseph's in the car this weekend. Yeah, it's everyone's dream to get a chance to see what they can do in top flight equipment. I think it's still a big ask to expect him to to go in there and be able to run in the top six, top eight. But you never know because he has been in the car this year. Uh, and and on a road course, do, doing the race at Detroit helps him considerably. So Scott Richards sent me this nugget. So Ferrucci, if he were to race this weekend, would be four races for four different teams. Last driver to drive for four different teams in a season. Maybe you already know this. Connor Daly? That's a really good <laughs> guess. And I'm kind of surprised he hasn't. But uh, according to Scott's information, it's Graham Ray Hall in 2010. He drove for Sarah Fisher, Newman Haas Lanigan, Ray Hall Letterman, and Dreyer and Reinbold in 2010 when he was kind of in between spots and getting back to full-time racing. I wouldn't have been surprised if it was Hunter Ray uh, the year that he kind of was starting to bounce back into it. Before he got the Andretti ride, he had a couple races where he was with different cars, but but that's a good one. Uh, but I'm surprised that uh, that Connor hasn't done it because he's been with everybody at some point. Multiple seasons, though, hasn't. So, so there's something to strive for. Uh, not really. I think Connor would like to continue to race for one team much easier that way. All right. We'll get into the race coming up in just a moment. Any thoughts, questions, comments? They're welcome at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. It's trackside 93.5107.5 the fan. <laughs> Hi, this is Pato Award, and you're listening to Trackside. Pretty good weekend for Pato Award. Second and first. Yes, he inherited 
the win when Joseph Newgarden uh, had the mechanical failure. Uh, by the way, any new information on that? You know, I, I heard one report of it was a shock, uh, and then I've seen more reports that it was suspension out of that, but I haven't seen anything more definitive today as to what caused Newgarden's crash. I have not seen anything definitive. I will give you a stat that's almost difficult to believe. The running order in race one is Newgarden, Award, and Power. And had no Newgarden finished the deal on Saturday or on Sunday, it would have been the same order. And in the history of IndyCar racing, there have been admittedly not as many double headers as you'd think, but no double header had ever had the same drivers in the, on the podium in the same order. And we almost had it in this case, because and really what it should have been. Uh, had Newgarden finished that race. So it it had never happened. That's uh, wow. It had happened with the same three drivers, but never in the same order. So I need to give credit. I threw this stat out at the end of the broadcast, and I, I had Russ Thompson, uh, our statistician. What, what's Townsend's title for him? The he's Because he's been promoted. He's no longer the senior VP of data analytics. I think he's just a, a, a – maybe he's the president of data analytics now. But Matt Lakin sent this to me on Twitter that this is the third time in a row that Pato Award has won race two of a doubleheader. And then so I asked Russ to dig a little deeper, and I was thinking off the top of my head, and wait a minute, uh, it, it's been the last three doubleheaders. Is that right? Yes, it is right. Last three doubleheaders, Pato has won the second half. He's all for more of them. Yeah. Yes, he is. But uh... – yeah, we're not going to have a lot of doubleheaders, and, and everybody but Joseph Newgarden and Pato Award will hope that we don't run doubleheaders a lot at Iowa because those two guys have been exceptional, particularly those Penske cars, really score a lot of points uh, or were set up to score a lot of points on, on the ovals. What have they um, on the short oval? Uh, they have led like 83% of the laps in the last seven races at Iowa Speedway. It's incredible. Well, Newgarden himself has led more laps than everyone else combined uh, over a, a time period. But I got a feeling that there's going to be a doubleheader next year. Bud Denker, the president of, uh, of Penske, said, I think, to the crowd on Sunday that we'll be back for the next three years. So let's talk about the event for a moment and, and what you witnessed from, from watching on television. Then I'll give you some thoughts about being there. So I thought it was exceptional. Um, I read some some stories uh, going into the weekend and really that were published over the weekend, how the facility had slipped. I mean, and didn't, you know, really look, didn't look like it's its old self. I mean, the track was just it, built in 06. But it doesn't and take so that, long when a track is sort of dormant to really get out of hand. Think about the Indiana. I, I know this is 80 years ago. But in four years, you know, we've seen those pictures from 1945 when it looked like a forest at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway when, when the Holmans bought the place. And, and there just wasn't a race in 42, 43, 44. And by 45, it was overgrown. It wasn't overgrown, but you get the point that there hadn't been a lot going on. I think they had an ARCA race last year, and that's about it. So that, that surprised me because I always 
uh, came away from Iowa Speedway races thinking, what a nice facility, uh, a very well-kept facility. And so I think that was the takeaway that I was surprised it had deteriorated. But I felt really good for the community, for the people, for Hy-Vee and the work that they did, for Penske Entertainment, quite honestly. Uh, one of the, the Indianapolis-based uh, employees, Ann Fishgren, spent a considerable amount of time as, as the quote-unquote general manager of this event. And, you know, just the effort that went into this uh, from a lot of people's part was uh, exceptional. And I thought it looked great. Uh, I thought the suites that they added in four and one really gave it a big time feel. And and Hinchcliffe showed on the Peacock broadcast on Friday uh, that, um, you know, that was that was a great seat. And I knew it would be because I've stood on that hill and you can you know, you can get your concession stand uh, items just like you could at Kentucky Speedway, and you can still see the racetrack. And so that's that's a really cool vantage point, and I'm glad uh, Hinch got a chance to go out there and show the fans at home uh, what I know to be some exceptional viewing places. I think Iowa Speedway is one of the best places. If you want to see an IndyCar race, I, I'd go to Iowa. That might be my first recommendation. And they've got a concourse at the top of those grandstands because some people don't just like to sit down all day. Well, there's a way kind of midway through where you can, I'm not sure how much you can do this during the race, but I noticed uh, at times there are a lot of people just kind of standing there in the back of this concession stand. You can actually go and not miss things. I think there are concession stands facing that way. I did not get out into the grandstands this year, but I've been out there before. I'm glad you mentioned Ann Fishgren because we've known her since she was fresh out of college, starting doing just about everything for IndyCar, and she was the GM of this event and did a fantastic job. I spoke to her a lot this weekend along with Bud Denker and Greg Penske uh, about the efforts that were going on. They were thrilled how it was going leading up to it. I saw Bud on... Bud Denker, the um, uh, president of Penske Corp, on Saturday night. And then I talked to Greg, who's much more involved uh, now with his dad, Roger. And they were super excited on Sunday morning. Um, this is the template. So what, what happened here not only gave IndyCar a much-needed, entertaining oval race and a good event back, but you talked about the community. It saved Iowa Speedway. It, it was probably going to be headed maybe not maybe something would have changed but nascar owns it and they're not even using it so it was probably headed the path of where we think chicagoland is headed and where kentucky speedway might be headed penske entertainment bobby ray hall with his introductions and high v i think have saved it and here's what's going to happen next nascar is going to say hey wait a minute we want some of that. So uh, hopefully the connections with High V are strong, and that's the event moving forward. But this is also important because it did show the way. We've talked about this for the last few months. You know, you heard those Milwaukee rumors coming out. Uh, could that be an option? Is that a backup plan if you can't do something at Texas? I don't believe Milwaukee's going to be on the schedule next year. I, I, I have not heard anything. Doesn't mean it's not happening. I'm just saying I have not heard anything for that. But I think this opens up options where, all right, Penske Entertainment sees there is a way to do this, but just as key to make it work, you've got to have a local partner. You, it's too much. It can be done, but it's difficult for just IndyCar to do it. You need a partner like the Bomberito Automotive Group in St. Louis, like Big Machine Label Group uh, in Nashville. You need someone boots on the ground, 
frankly, spending a lot of the money and using their connections. You know, all those sponsors on the wall, those are B2B things with high V. Uh, and, and they have a way to get other people to pay for it. They probably didn't have to pay full freight for those four headline acts. Maybe Bush Light did that. Bush Light, I saw on the stage, might be sort of a deal there, like the old Target platform. Hey, uh, can you help fund these concerts? We'll make you the headliner, and we'll make sure Bush Light is front and center in all, all of our stores, and you'll sell more product. So it's not easy, though, because in each of the cases you just mentioned, you're talking about a local company with marketing dollars to spend, with an interest in IndyCar racing, and add it all up, they have to have a national profile. In all of those cases, Bomarito selling cars sells, I mean, John Bomarito's talked about it many times. I've talked to him about it. They sell as many cars online nationally as they yeah. do locally. And so that's a big deal for them. So being a uh, high V situation, you know, there are already 240 stores in eight States and they want to be in Indiana. You know, they want to expand across their footprint. There are, you know, predominantly Midwest kind of upper Midwest, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, uh, Kansas, but they want to, they want to expand their footprint to some degree and they want to do well in the markets they're in. So that, that's the tricky part. You say Milwaukee, you know, are you going to get Miller involved? It's going to be somebody who's local with a national profile. John Menard, you know, that'd be the first to ask, and I'm sure that's already been asked. You really want to find someone in Dallas-Fort Worth, and and we sat down with some of the executives, and that was one of my questions. Hey, are you planning on going to Dallas? And it's no, not right now. And that's a shame, but they are going to Nashville. Uh, they're going to be in Alabama soon. They're coming to Zionsville in the Indianapolis area. So they are expanding and they, they are a big deal, but that's the key. As you said, you got to get somebody local. Uh, and Texas is, I think probably going to be on the schedule next year. I don't know how it's going to work out. Um, if they can, if they're going to go in the co-promotion area, if they've got a local company involved there, but you know, clearly Something needs to happen because it's not been going well. It would help, too, if if the racing was more entertaining. And I think it was good enough this year. If they can duplicate what they did last year, I think that racing is good enough in that market to make that work. So that's a story for another time. But it, it was it was a really good feel. And it just looked good on television. It looked good on the grounds. People seemed happy. There was great access. The concerts were really good. They weren't just 15-minute shows. They were full concerts, and it was really good stuff. Let's talk about Pato Award and the championship for a moment because, you know, he had had three straight, really just two awful races, a third at Mid-Ohio, that uh, or Toronto, rather, that didn't go super well. And it looked like he might be realistically out of it. Is he now back in it? Well, he is back in it. There are six drivers who are, I would say, in this now. Uh, Erickson and Marcus Erickson and uh, Will Power separated by just eight points. Joseph Newgarden and Scott Dixon like 34 points back. And and Alex Pillow and, and Pato Ward a little bit further back yet. Uh, but they're all within striking distance. They're all within one race. I think if I'm Pato, though, the concern is I've got others to contend with. Again, it's always a question of how far do you have to climb? How much do you have to have other people's uh, races go poorly? And, you know, Pato could get hot. Somebody's going to have to win a couple more of these of these remaining five dry, uh, races. I think if 
you know, we're going to have to see where Newgarden is right now. But I think the two guys that if, if I was putting odds on, I'd start with Will Power and a very close second, I'd say Scott Dixon. He's the object lurking in the mirror that's larger than he appears because he has a way. And I, and I talked about this last week. He has won 32 of his 50 races, 52 or 30 of his 52 races, I guess, have come set July, August, September, October. He has been a second half guy. And if you go to the last two races and he's going to have a shot at this, he's won seven times in one of those two races, the last race of the season or the, the penultimate race of the season. So he's going to close. That's the point. And you don't want him close enough to get you because uh, he, he has the experience, the uh, ice in his veins, as we often talk about, and and the kind of the maturity to handle the moment. He'll get you if he's close, and I would be careful keeping him close. I think you shut up. You shut off your mic, perhaps. Oh, I uh, did. I did. Uh, Dixon is definitely lurking. Um, and I don't know if this was said on the air or if this was just the three of us chatting during a break, but I had mentioned early in race two, hey, Dixon's not moving forward. He's actually lost a couple of spots. He's in 19th or 20th or whatever. And one of the guys said, and we all agreed, yeah, but he'll still finish in the top five. Don't worry about it. And and he did uh, in both days. And you still have to believe more is coming from him. Mr. Consistency has been Marcus Erickson who admitted on the TV interview, yeah, I was being a little overly optimistic when I chatted with all of you because, you know, he told me, no, I feel like we're pretty good. We've got a good chance. And he did have some concerns about the way things were going to work out. But uh, I do know that he likes Gateway. He's been good at Gateway, and that's the only oval left. So it is really hard to find a favorite. If New Garden is all good, he's still the favorite. They've been the best yeah. this year. He he really has. And and it, the thing about Erickson that would surprise me is if he doesn't win another race, it would be difficult to imagine a champion only winning one race. I know it's happened, but it, it seems to me Erickson would need to do more than just win the Indianapolis but it, 500 but and it's double two races. points. But it's I understand. Two races. Yeah, yeah, but but it's still one winning only one one chance that just shows. I mean, it, we had the stat going into Iowa that he and Will Power were tied for the series lead. If you factor out the double points in Indianapolis, so he yep. has been good enough. That's not to say I'm taking anything away from him. I'm saying it'd be hard pressed to think the champion only won one race. That's why you would put joseph at the top and joseph's got the best track record at the remaining tracks but keep in mind indycar has raced very very few times in this driver's era with portland and laguna seca so there there isn't enough of a trend to say that one driver or another is going to be good at those two tracks uh scott mclaughlin was on his way i think to a really good weekend and the wheel literally fell off, and luckily yeah. he caught it. Will Power didn't a couple of years ago, and he was in the wall, so they caught it, but it cost him a chance. He said, I, I think my car was really good. I thought I was going to finish second or third. Certainly he looked on his way to at least a top five, and then he did finish third. He's really good at ovals, just like he's pretty good at road and street courses right now. 
Yeah, he's 80 some points out. If you uh, if he finishes that race in the top five or six, he gets another 20 points. So he'd be within 60, 60 some, but it still would be a long way to go. Honestly, I thought the drive of the weekend was was Jimmy Johnson on Saturday. He was running on that as Townsend Bell described it, lanes three and four, which we didn't know existed. And I thought uh, just his ability to uh, to keep it up there without without uh, sliding into the marbles and then to change things up on Sunday and run as well as he did. It may be his best race of the season, although he was great at Texas, I thought. And uh, so good for Jimmy. I thought that was yep. really good for him and the sport. So I, I can't say that I – there were a few mean tweets headed our way, uh, but one of the, the mean tweets wasn't really that mean. It was someone that I, – I don't have it in front of me. Maybe it was even an Instagram, which I don't check as often as I should, but something about, hey, nice job on the broadcast, but can you stop talking about Jimmy Johnson, all of you? And I, I didn't respond. I'm not going to do that. Well, one, I have a radio show, so I can respond here. But here's my thought. Well, one – I talk about what's on the screen. That's that's the job. I don't get to decide. I have some influence. I can hit a little button and say, hey, I'd like us to mention Callum Eilat when we get a chance because he's doing a nice job. Or let's see this, or I think there's a good battle here. But generally speaking, this is how we work in the booth. Uh, we are not to look out the window. We are watching what's on TV, and the producer and the director lead the way which is the way it should be, and we react to what we see. And it is a team effort that the, the two analysts very much so will be on the button and say, let's talk ab about this. But I'm talking about what I'm seeing, and I'm seeing Jimmy Johnson on the screen a lot, and I'm seeing him about to crash. I'm seeing him pass people. He was, if not the star of the show, certainly added to our entertainment. I feel that we covered that correctly, and he needed to be talked about. You did cover it correctly, but even if you didn't cover it correctly, I still maintain it's the most fascinating thing of the season, him on ovals yeah. this year. And it it is as fascinating as, as when uh, Nigel Mansell came here at a lesser uh, interest level, of course, but, but uh, it's similarly fascinating to me. And when any of these guys like Rubens Barrichello come and, and try this form of the sport, I think, you know, when Kurt Busch ran the Indy 500, when Fernando Alonso did, I don't care what the uh, critics say. And I know Jimmy's been in this a long season and last year as well, but it's still interesting, especially on the ovals. And this short oval really lined up with his, uh, his ability and experience very nicely. It, this is a bit extreme. The comparison has been made before. I think it's a bit extreme, but it still somewhat applies. This is like when Michael Jordan tried to play baseball a bit. Actually, in, in all fairness, what Jordan tried to do was even harder. But what if Jordan had made it to the big leagues and did decently at some point? That's what Jimmy did at Texas, and that's that's what he did here. Yeah, you you've had a little issue with your connectivity, but Jimmy Jimmy on the on the short oval and the big ovals. I mean, it's just fascinating, and I don't care if you show him. I'd almost like to see a split screen of him on Saturday and just watch him <laughs> because his in car was was everywhere. Here's our other inside TV tip. We wanted to see. Here's an experiment to see how closely people are paying attention, and and then we can stop worrying about what we wear. Uh. Townsend and I just swap ties from Saturday to Sunday. 
so, so no one noticed. So why are we spending big budget on clothes at this point? The tie I wore on Saturday and that he wore on Saturday, we just swapped. And we had 25 ties in there to choose from. We said, hey, let's just do this and see if anyone notices. No one did. So we probably won't do it again now. But just wanted to see if we could make it happen. I just was glad you didn't spend money on that tie. It was actually, well, one of them was Townsend's tie. One of them was mine. The nicer <laughs> one was probably Townsend's tie, which why, uh, was why I was keen to uh, to borrow it. All right, uh, coming up, we've got news of the day, some other stuff going on. We'll start talking about what's coming up this week and get in what we missed. And don't forget, we've got tomorrow night, the rest of the week, to continue chatting about IndyCar. We haven't even gotten into the number 10 car. What's going on there for next year? And much more all coming up on Trackside. Hi, this is Justin Newgarden, and you're listening to Trackside. And after this Saturday's IndyCar and Xfinity races at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the racing continues Saturday night at the Tom Wood Group Indianapolis Speedrome, powered by Lincoln Tech. It's a full night of stock car racing on the historic Fifth Mile Oval, capped by a 100-lap wild and unpredictable late model figure eight race. The Speedrome features family-friendly Racing action, great food, free parking, and outrageous fun. All at Brookville Road and Kitley Avenue on Indy's southeast side. More at speedrome.com. And Kevin with the news of the day. So I, I think we'll give a mention to the Indy Lights race from Saturday afternoon. It added to the entertainment value of the High V IndyCar weekend with two IndyCar races, four concerts, and, and a really good Indy Lights race. And there was, man, Saturday was busy. You had uh indy lights qualifying in the morning then indycar qualifying an indy lights race and then the indycar race and we had just like nascar had this weekend uh, for the first time since 1960 a, a winner dq'd denny hamlin the top two denny hamlin and kyle bush what uh and then they put the sirens off and dawsonville a couple hours later for chase elliott winning no one knew what it was for uh but anyway in the indy lights race Matt Brabham and Linus Lundquist were battling for the lead late. It was it was back and forth. Hunter McElray led a lot of the race as well, but got passed on a restart by Lundquist. Brabham, who started eighth, was trying to pass him on the high side and got squeezed into the wall a, a little bit. Wing damaged. I'm going to say there were four or five laps to go in the race. Kept limping around, maintained second until the final lap, then slipped back to i think fourth hunter McElray was running second lundquist took the checkered flag he's the winner and while georgia henterberry is interviewing hunter McElray, she's told in her ear uh the winner has been penalized and McElray is the winner lundquist doesn't go to the back just goes right behind brabham and the more i think about it the more i like that that his race is not ruined because as we looked at that i wasn't sure you know, and Lundquist said, my spotter cleared me. I know the driver is still responsible. You know, I probably would have put a little more of the blame on him, not giving Brabham some room. As Brabham was saying, you know, you could see in, in your mirrors that I was coming that way, but is that just a natural drift? Is the car pushing up? It didn't seem 100% to me. And since it worked out that Brabham still limped home fourth, let's just make sure Lundquist goes behind him. So it's McElroy winning his second race in a row. Rasmussen, Kristen Rasmussen finishing second, then Matt Brabham, then Linus Lundquist. Lundquist still has a very healthy lead in the championship, but it would have been something, I forget, 88, 
90, something like that. And now it's still maybe in the 70s and still there is a chance for someone else. But it was a really entertaining race. And I thought we were going to have to bring the Cauldron of Hate back out for the Indy Lights race. Townsend was with me in the booth, but they were pretty cordial and civil about it all. Well, I think I think Linus, you know, he doesn't have a history, to my knowledge, of of you know driving. Uh, that Not would, that I can recall. That would be, I haven't seen it. That would yeah. be representative of a of a big penalty. So yeah, I like moving him back behind the driver that he caused the damage to. That was fourth place. Uh, moved moved Brabham up to third, and and you know, as you said, a DQ weekend. I can't remember. I thought about it long and hard last night or or when i heard the new i guess the news that chase had been uh, elevated to the victory i couldn't remember a time when nascar didn't ever let the the fans see the winner of the race uh chase didn't accept the win you know as as graciously as as hunter McElroy did but uh you know they'll carry on this weekend and and it'll be yeah. fun to watch hamlin and and bush and the rest so that's what's coming up. And remember, um, there's a lot going on. So we're going to try to remind people as much as we can. There's racing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway this weekend, and it's a really cool weekend. So the Cup Series is a part of the Brickyard. That's been tradition, but it started through the pandemic with IndyCar and NASCAR racing together. And now this is a bit of a new tradition. It's on the road course again this weekend. So Sunday is all about the NASCAR Cup Series, but Saturday is just an awesome value because you're going to see race cars on the track with the IndyCar warm-up at 8.15. Uh, and then you're going to see Cup Series practice throughout the day, uh, as well as the IndyCar race starts at 12.30. We'll be on NBC at noon here on the radio as well. So a full IndyCar race at 12.30. And then the Xfinity race is after that, both on the road course. There's a practice for IndyCar and qualifying on Friday plus Xfinity practice and qualifying on Friday afternoon. So three really good days, and it gets us on the radio each night this week. And I'm hoping we'll have a good crowd coming up this weekend at the Brickyard. Yeah, I think it'll be great. And we'll see Santino Ferrucci in one way or the other, either the Xfinity (laughs) race or the IndyCar race. So it's a Santino weekend. And Sage Karam will be in the Xfinity race as well. And we'll talk more about that as the week moves forward. Should be uh, good stuff this weekend at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. All right, that's all for us for tonight, but it's not done yet. Beyond the Bricks with Jake Query and Mike Thompson are coming up in just a moment. For Kurt and Sam, I'm Kevin. Podcast up in a bit, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.